So good afternoon, everyone. My name is Tavila Lyons. I'm the Managing Director of the E-Commerce Club. Um, thank you very much for joining us this afternoon, Cart Abandonment Strategies. Um, hopefully the, the name of the webinar gives away the topic for today um, and that you've looked at some of the information that we've put out online um, in the sort of run up to this event. Um, so I'll give you sort of like a, a little bit of an idea as to how we're going to run things um, and, um, and also sort of some ground rules. Um, so um, we really want you to interact. So we've got a, an expert panel. Um, we would love it if you could actually interact with each other and also with um, myself and the panel on the chat. Um, and please do submit questions. Obviously, we have some sort of topics that we've predefined and we want to cover. Um, but, you know, we know there might be some uh, specific um, questions or sort of ideas and things that you want to explore please feel free to sort of put those forward. Um, we will also be um, recording this session. Um, so it will be available on YouTube to view afterwards. Um, so if you've got a colleague that you think it might be relevant for, or for any reason you get called out into a, a, an urgent call, you can come pop back in and sort of watch the rest of the, the webinar online on YouTube and we'll share that with you afterwards. Um, so um, so um, I want to say, um, you know, first of all, sort of thank you very much to Dowd and the team at the Fashion Network who've part partnered with us at the e-commerce club on this. Uh, we've done this fairly regularly, actually, sort of particularly over the pandemic. So prior to this, we were doing lots of um, physical in-person events together, um, both in London and Manchester. Um, since the pandemic, we've been doing sort of a regular webinar um, where we've both been collaborating through our audiences. Um, so obviously, Fashion Network is very much fashion focused. Um, the e-commerce club is, is a broader focus across sort of all aspects of e-commerce. Um, but really the idea behind these webinars is that it's open to everyone. So we've got CEOs, heads of e-commerce, and we've also got, you know, people coming in at the, the, the you know, the, the bottom of the funnel who are sort of coming in as assistants, um, or even some students that are sort of training at the moment um, and are wanting to kind of move into the e-commerce sector. Um, so it's pretty broad ranging in terms of experience. Um, and also in broad ranging in terms of the people that are listening in. Um, so I want to say thank you very much to GQ um, and um, LTV Plus for supporting today as well. Um, so thank you. It makes it possible for us to put these on. Um, and, um, and without much further ado, I hopefully everyone signed in now. Um, I'm, uh, I'm going to introduce the panel. Um, so if I can introduce Kate um, first of all. So Kate, I was saying to you, I'm not going to do like a big spiel about how sort of fabulous you are and sort of how much expertise. Um, if you can introduce yourself and tell everyone sort of, you know, what you do and sort of, um, and, and how you sort of play a role in this industry, that'd be great. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much, Davina. Um, so my name is Kate Nightingale and I'm a consumer psychologist. Uh, I run my own consultancy, uh, which I basically call human experience consultancy. And we work with retail, hospitality and tech brands um, all across their strategy, their customer experience, design of both online and offline channels, as well as innovation and insight. Um, so some of our clients include Snack, uh, an amazing sofa in a box company, uh, first one ever in Europe actually. So we worked with them from absolutely beginnings uh, on everything from their strategy to their web design to their brand community strategy to everything else. Uh, Swarovski, one of another of our clients where we help them develop their global store concept, um, as well as uh, lots of amazing new startups, uh, including a radically transparent, uh, sustainable and ethical fashion uh, brand coming to UK in September, finally, after pretty much almost a year already of working on it. So uh, as you can see, very varied. And on top of it, I lecture at Regents University, London College of Fashion and Education. And that's just for fun. Excellent. And you said radically transparent ethical mm -hmm. brand. That's, that sounds intriguing. What's radically transparent? Are they going to reveal everything about the whole sort of process, the whole supply chain? Yeah, pretty much. So the, the trouble with uh, sustainability and ethical businesses right now, especially in fashion, is that uh, there is a lot of, let's call it greenwashing. Um, they say that they save something or they say that they don't do something, but where is the traceability? Where is the evidence? Even mm -hmm. the best ones in the market, you can't find any evidence, no information about any certificate, any of their suppliers. You they don't even have sustainability reports, whereas guys like Innocent or Oatly or, um, you know, or any of those kind of, you know, amazing businesses, sustainability reports out there normally, not a problem. Whereas the factory, what's happening in a factory, not a problem. 
So we're really going to push uh, the limit up to about three degrees of separation right now, and obviously trying to continue extending that uh, to you know the best possible level and really kind of you know everything. I mean you know as much as you want to know. Um, yeah. Obviously, maybe not like you know big essays, but still as much as you no, want to know. I think it would be intriguing to see how that plays out in the marketplace because. I think it's what people have sort of promised to do, but no one's actually managed to deliver. So I'd be really keen to see if they, they deliver that. So thank you, Kate. Um, so Hilary, um, if I can hand over to you, if you can tell everyone a little bit about you and your role at Forever Unique, that would be great. Thank you. Hi, everybody. Um, so first of all, can I just make some apologies about the very extra nature of the background here? Um, I've got an ill child downstairs who is fine, uh, but I have retreated to another part of the house, which I wouldn't normally sit in. And so I'm actually, I've got wallpaper going on. I've got curtains going on. I mean, it's very extra. It's, it's very me, really. Um, but I apologise in advance because a small child may wander in at some stage. I hope she doesn't. She's She knows what she's up to and she's got lunch. Um, but I apologise. Um, so about that we understand. It's like we're all working from home. So it's not a problem at all. And I love, I love, I love flowers. I, I love flowers and look, I'm quite extra in my dress and I quite, I love patterns and, you know, God, I've got sequins on, on a, and the average, you know, weekday. So I'm very happy with it, but it is quite a visual assault on the senses. Um, <laughs> so my name's Hill. Um, I was, so just to be clear, I'm not anymore brand director at Forever Unique. Um, I do quite a lot of senior level consultancy work for mostly pure play fashion e-commerce brands. Um, I specialize in direct-to-consumer stuff, mostly because it's what interests me and fashion is, is kind of my first love. Um, although I have done quite a bit of work in other verticals and I tend to go into businesses where there is a problem or a need. So for example, with Forever Unique, which is a high, mid to high end occasion wear retailer, or at least was pre-pandemic, um, I'll come back to that. Um, there was a need to switch platforms, e-commerce platforms. We were on a legacy platform, need to switch. And there was also some commercial need to, um, to really get under the skin of how the business was working from a KPI point of view. Things weren't going exactly brilliantly. So they, they needed someone to come in and kind of steady the ship a bit. This was all pre-pandemic. So typically that's what I do. I go into businesses where there's a problem to solve. Um, so I've done quite a bit of work in fast fashion, in... Um, sectors that are much older so I'm quite a specialist in old lady footwear um, I've worked for both pavers and hotter shoes which they they both do a lot in that space equally I've done a lot of um, of, of apparel stuff as well so forever unique um, which is where I most recently was um, I'm doing some consulting for a different brand at the moment but I sadly can't mention who they are uh, but forever unique was pre-pandemic mid to high end occasion wear sequins through and through this is actually a forever unique sweater um and my role there was to replatform and to steady the ship and to bring in a new team and then the pandemic hit and so of course my role became very different uh, and it was about really trying to nudge our product proposition to ensure that we would continue to trade during the pandemic so to make sure that instead of selling amazing sequin frocks and gorgeous uh, tailoring we actually needed to sell glamorous loungewear and glamorous things to wear at home whilst also trading through our residuals um, which was quite the tough gig um, so so that's me um, I hope that helps that does that's excellent thanks Hilary um, so GQ I'm going to hand over to you now um, for you actually what we want to understand is a little bit about you personally and sort of your role within the company but also if you can just give us a little bit of an idea about LTV plus as well just so that we've got some context as to, to, to your expertise sure thanks a lot Davina so uh, my name is GQ and I'm the co-founder and CEO at LTV plus and uh, at LTV Plus, we provide customer service outsourcing for brands. And uh, the way we help brands is we are providing, for example, um, 
um, outsource customer service in terms of agents. We also take care of, you know, fill payment recovery. And of course, uh, that's why we're here for the topic today, card abandonment recovery services. But this is more from the personalized uh, human perspective, which I think might be interesting for some brands to check out. And uh, what can we do for your brand? Well, uh, our goal with every client that we work with is uh, number one, to increase sales and customer satisfaction, you know, ideally 24 seven, depending on uh, if you're working globally. Uh, number two, recovering fill payments and abandoned cards. Number three, outsourcing highly trained agents so you don't have to worry about scaling or uh, hiring agents on your own as a brand. And finally, number three, for, for brands that are looking to expand into other parts of Europe or the world, uh, we also do provide multilingual customer service. Uh, we have worked with uh, uh, you know different brands across uh, different verticals as well, be it fashion. We also work with SaaS, for example. We've worked with uh, a company that sells Christmas trees, uh, and they and they went on Shark Tank, so that was fun. <laughs> and also, uh, you know, in terms of technologies, uh, we work with a huge variety of uh, different partners. So you might know of Gorgeous, you might know of Reamaze, uh, you know, Help Scout. We're all there, and uh, so yeah, um, it's been fun so far. Uh, we've been around for about. Uh, three plus years now. Yeah, definitely three plus years right now. And uh, yeah, you know, during the pandemic itself, it was a really interesting. Uh, yeah, it was really interesting to see how brands performed across the entire year, especially when they first hit starting March. Like, you know, with some brands, um, they were not able to gain traction and they had to pivot. For example, there was like a uh, sports nutrition company that we worked with where they support, you know, uh, certain types of athletes and they had to uh, pivot, for example, to supporting it as more of like a health supplement for fitness, uh, you know, uh, fitness individuals or people who are interested in fitness. And but whereas like for others, for example, and especially in fashion, uh, we did see like uh, a huge, like a huge amount of growth. And one of our clients went, uh, you know, like uh, basically double and they went from like 30, 60 mil, for example. And so uh, it was quite an interesting uh, turnout to see both ends. And so uh, whatever that we've learned so far, uh, you know, I'd be very happy to share and chat with Hillary and Kate about this today uh, and obviously Davina as well. And I think it'll be super fun. So thanks for having me here. No problem at all. Well, thank you so much. So we're obviously here to talk about cart abandonment. I wanted to actually go out to um, the, the, you know, the people that are listening in with us today um, to put up the first poll, if we can, Dale. Um, so Dale at TFN is sitting in the background um, as our tech dude. Um, so um, we're going to pop up the first poll, if you can please vote. So why do your customers abandon their cart at checkout stage? And I wanted to kind of put this up at the beginning so we get like a feel um, as to what you think sort of could be some of the issues or is the main issue that you're experiencing at the moment. So why do your customers abandon their cart at checkout stage? Um, could be I was asked to create an account and offer to guest checkout. There were additional unexpected fees added. I had more questions about the product and had doubts about proceeding. Um, other, if you can then sort of, you know, tick that box and then pop some um, reasons into the chat box. Um, and then I have no idea. That's why I'm listening to the webinar, <laughs> which could well be the case if you've just started out. Um, so um, if you can please cast your votes and then we'll get those uh, results up shortly, um, which um, I'm assuming, Dale, you'll pop those up once we, you feel that sort of most people have taken part. Yeah, um, still coming through, deliberating, I think. Deliberating, please, please vote for us so we get so we can get a a bit of an idea as to sort of what you think might be the main issues. But I'm going to go into the first. Oh, there we are. Okay, so looks like you have no ideas. Forty percent. Okay, fair enough. Um, but the unexpected fees and um, and possibly having sort of you know more questions about the product seem to then be coming out sort of further ahead of having to create an account um, or other possibilities. Um, so I think that sort of leads us you know quite nicely into the first question, which is um, and GQ, I'm going to come to you first on this, which is what are the most common reasons for cart abandonment that you found in your experience? Sure. So I think like what you've listed in the poll, uh, those are generally like, like, that's a really good guideline to start with. But the one that we've seen a lot, and this is kind of where the, uh, you know, when we work with our clients in terms of chat, the, the chat piece is, you know, not necessarily getting all the information that they need. That's, which is interesting for us, because we always thought it was something else. But um, at least, you know, with the accounts that we worked with, uh, the major one is like not necessarily getting all the information that they need. And even something as simple as people tend to, uh, people tending to forget, like, you know, what's the returns policy like, or, you know, what's kind of like their, you know, like basic FAQ stuff that you can have on your store. But when people shop through it, they get to the checkout page, you're not sure. And so, you know, kind of like, uh, that's one of the things that we've noticed. That we've excellent, excellent. And um, if I can come over to you then, um, Hillary, is what, what, for you, and particularly sort of at Forever Unique, 
Um, you know, what would you say sort of were, you know, some of the common reasons why people wouldn't go through to complete their purchase? Happily, quite a few of the reasons that the guys who are watching have, have inputted were the reasons. I think there are some nuances around that, though. So when I joined the business, it was on a legacy platform and the checkout was super, super complicated. Um, and it meant that when a customer arrived at checkout, he or actually she, in the case of Forever Unique, was not aware perhaps what uh, the, the cost of the postage and packaging would be was not aware if there were any taxes to be involved, uh, particularly when shipping abroad, obviously, was not aware of kind of the, the, the rubric around returns, T's and C's, and they still had a lot of questions. And particularly when you're spending, and this is in the old days of Forever Unique, upwards of £300 address, you don't want to commit that amount of money before you know all of those things. So we had really high abandonment rates. I think also it was, and this is another thing that I think is a real issue around abandonment, the mobile experience was awful for Forever Unique on the, the old legacy platform. So you couldn't actually see some of the checkout when you were in it. Um, so you were actually sort of, I guess, you know, looking in the dark to try and work out what the PMP charges would be, or you would have to abandon your cart entirely to go back. The crumb trail was dreadful. So it was all about getting the right information to the customer before he or she transacted. And that was the real issue, really. We just weren't giving her the right information to transact. And also with, with a purchase like a £300 dress, that's not something she's going to risk lightly. Um, you know, you really, you, you need to give her the nudge as well as all the rubric information, you need to be able to nudge her and say things like, you know, three other people have just put this dress in their basket. And we didn't do any of that either. And that's kind of the nudge economy, isn't it? To say people like you have done such a thing, which can nudge the customer to keep the basket and to, in, in essence, convert the basket to sale. So those were some of our issues. And you mentioned a, a couple of times that you're on like a legacy platform and one of your roles was to re-platform. Are you able to tell us sort of, you know, what you're on and what you moved to? Yeah, so the, the legacy platform was a Magento One platform. So to anyone watching Magento, and there will be people watching who know this, so apologies if this is no knowledge, but Magento One is a legacy old, old platform that actually stopped being supported in about yeah. September of last year. So it wasn't kind of a, it would be nice to change platforms. It was a, we have to get off this platform because if we don't, we're totally unsupported. So the choice was then between a Magento 2 platform or a Shopify platform or a bespoke platform. In the end, we ended up with a bespoke platform um, for reasons I don't think are probably salient, but it was a, it was a good deal economically at the time to do that. Um, and the, the new platform did, did, I would say, 85, 90% of what we needed it to do and was far more um, advantageous from a financial point of view than switching to Magento 2 would be. So um, we went with that. Okay, okay. So thank you for that. And it's, I'm, we're going to come and touch back on some of those issues, I think, sort of particularly around, as you were saying, maybe the higher value items. But Kate, I wanted to, to, to come to you, sort of what would you say in your experience are some of the main reasons why people are abandoning it at the purchase stage? Yeah, so I obviously will look at this from a lot of, um, you know, what's actually happening in our mind when we shop. And there's loads of different reasons we're going to do that. Obviously, every of those reasons that you just mentioned is really key. Uh, but fundamentally, there is there needs to be this balance between pain and pleasure, right? Uh, and sort of managing an expectations rather than having an uncertainty and almost pretty much, um, you know, an uncertainty of what you're going to get, but almost pretty much an entire certainty that there's going to be a level of pain that you need to go through in a checkout. Because let's face it, it's either super difficult or there's going to be a weird shipping fee or it's not going to arrive when you want it to uh, or something else is going to happen or you can't do a guest checkout or they're asking you some weird personal information that are not necessary or whatever else, right? But also we need to consider why people put stuff in a basket and it's not always to actually transact, let's face it. So mm -hmm. we have impulsive shopping, tons of it. And obviously we experienced way more of it over the last year because it's partially our um, coping mechanism to the level of stress and anxiety that we have been living with, right? It's a very kind of typical reaction. So obviously there was a lot of, um, you know, a lot of companies that are starting to put out information about how to reduce uh, impulsive shopping. And we've been working on some of those 
uh, projects, for example, with Klarna or with Zopa Bank to really try to kind of help people to, you know, to, to get that down a little bit. So, so that's kind of one of those things. And it's great when they stop themselves even after they put stuff in a basket, but they stop themselves. That's great. So the challenge of then retargeting that is perhaps not the best idea, but you can't always tell whether it was impulsive shopping or not. Now, also, you need to bear in mind that sometimes we put things into the basket because we want to see the combination of things next to each other. Because there's no other form of doing it unless I'm going to do, a, I don't know, a PowerPoint presentation and copy and paste images, right? Uh, I want to see if that, you know, top looks good with the other one because you haven't done that as a complementary, you know, uh, product or you haven't done that as the full outfit shopping thing or you haven't given me some form of, you know, um, uh, of mood boards which I can play with and put stuff next to each other. Now, um, another thing just came up. I can't finish. I need to finish my lunch, my child is crying, my dog just ate my phone, <laughs> you know, whatever else, right? Things come up. We can't immediately kind of put the stuff forward. Or the challenge also is if they came up, we then start actually thinking consciously and rationally about a purchase that could have had a much more hedonic, emotional, and more often than not impulsive components in there, right? Now, Quite often, also people are very strategic. They know they're gonna get a retargeted email with a discount or with a gift or something else. Freaking hell, consumers are not stupid, right? I'm like, let's face it, we're going to take advantage wherever we can, right? Now, so uh, another thing obviously um, is uh, not being kind of fully sure also about a product whether it's in terms of its price or like you said, not enough information or that something feels off and I don't trust that platform because let's face it, we don't always just shop in you know, brands that we actually know. Uh, we shop in lots of different places. So occasionally, you know, the way the information is presented about a product, the way the information is presented about that whole kind of platform, that whole website, is not good enough to actually build an overall trust, right? Now, shortlist. I put things in a basket like everyone else so I can create a shortlist, not because I actually want to physically buy it. I might put 10 things in a basket and then have a look which one is better, right? Yes, if you have a wish list, um, it's great, but maybe I don't want to create an account. And I can only have a wish list if I create an account, right? You might even have a budget or something, Kate, mightn't you? So you might be thinking, I'm shopping for a holiday. I want to buy a couple of new outfits. So you put everything you see that you like, and then you think, actually, I only want to spend £250. I'll now reduce that. Yeah. Another thing, also, very organisational, very strategic. I know I want to buy those things. I just can't buy them now because it's not the end of the month. It's not something else. But now I have half an hour to actually go through the website and put it in a basket. So then when I come back two weeks later, that basket should be there. Assuming your website doesn't cancel the basket after one hour, <clears throat> not a good one as well, right? Now, let's face it. We do online shopping for entertainment. It's like scrolling through Instagram as well. So we're going to put stuff in a basket, even though we don't actually want to buy them. Okay. Mm. So, you know, so your stats, GQ, that you showed us, I'm pretty sure that at least 20% of those people are just having fun or they're killing time. You know? Sorry, Kate, I wanted to come to that actually, GQ, because Tracy was asking, wasn't she, about, you know, what would be a, a kind of average car abandonment rate? Um, and you said as high as, you know, 68%, maybe even 85% for, for mobile users. But she's also got a follow-up question, and I thought this is quite a good one, and maybe we get the rest of the panel's kind of view on this as well, which is, you know, is there like an acceptable rate? Like, should you be aiming to keep it at a certain point, or is it just so individual? Yeah, uh, well, I, I guess everyone will like 0%, but um, so the, I guess like the ideal part of it, with, <laughs> so uh, I would say that uh, it Does really- it so, sorry, come again? <laughs> you never know. It's that unicorn, right? We all want 0%. Um, 
No, but uh, okay, jokes aside, I think it's like, um, it really depends. Like, you know, we've seen, you know, like it decreased to like 30%, 20. Sometimes like you can only drop it by like 10%. It really depends on um, a wide variety of factors. And at least speaking from the customer service side of things, um, you know, if you set up, uh, you know, different types of campaigns to recover those cards, at least for a start, that would definitely help you from an automated standpoint. And of course, having, having your customer service team or uh, certain team members to reach out. But it really differs. I, I don't have like that magic number, if you will. Mm. Yeah. I don't want to give false information. <laughs> no, exactly, exactly. But I don't know, Hillary, in your experience at Forever Unique, was there like a, did you have a sort of a target rate? Yeah, or we, we did? really did. We had, when I joined the business, we had an abandonment rate on desktop, uh, which was about 30% of traffic because the customer was quite mature for Forever Unique. She's definitely... Um, a shopper who obviously loves her devices and is getting more familiar with mobile devices all the time, but she's definitely 45, 50 plus, And we did have quite a bit of, um, of desktop shopping. I think also because there was a lot of detail on the garments, customers would come to desktop to examine the finer detail of sequins and an and exact finery in the garment. So for us, desktop was about 80% when I joined and mobile was at about 85%, which is really, really high. I mean, Obviously, abandonment rate is category specific. It really is. Um, but for apparel, my I, I wanted to kind of be more in the, let's say, 70s for desktop and the sort of 75s for mobile. That was that was really what I was aiming for. Um, mm. And particularly because it's, you know, it's it's a, it's quite a considered purchase. And what we didn't have a lot of just to go back to a point that was made. We didn't have a wish list functionality in the, the legacy site. So we didn't have people creating wish lists. And equally, we didn't sense we had a lot of people creating, say, 10 things in their basket to then whittle them down to two, because that just wasn't the kind of shopping I think women were doing for Forever Unique at the time. I think they would see a dress and think, right, that's the dress. And I'm going to put that in my basket. Um, the average, I think the average items per basket for Forever Unique was was about 1.2, which of course is a nonsense figure. Nobody buys 1.2 dresses unless they've got 1.2 bodies. Nobody's got 1.2 bodies. Um, <laughs> but it, and you know, there wasn't much after the pandemic, Hillary. Well, to be <laughs> honest, yeah, I'm sat here in a pair of jeans that frankly shouldn't fit me, but do. Happily, they are very comfortable because they are, and I'm not thrilled about this. They're some old maternity jeans. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> um, Look, the pandemic takes us all in different ways. Exactly, exactly. So now we're now all 1.2 of our former selves. We're all 1.2, so Forever Unique's number was great. But in all seriousness, most okay. fashion apparel businesses have, you know, might be 1.5 or 1.75 or 2.4 items per basket. We were at about 1.2. So generally customers were seeing a dress and going for that dress. So there wasn't a lot of building baskets to compare and contrast. Um, we just knew that it was real problems with checkout and legacy, you know, legacy platform issues around checkout and, and not doing enough to show her the truth of how much PNP would cost and, you know, what the taxes would be shipping to America, etc. We just none of that was built into the basket on Magento one. It's a horrible platform. Um, mm. Thank God it's dead, frankly. Um, and <laughs> yeah, we, we could build all those things into the new platform. Yeah, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna jump a little bit just to down those. I'm gonna come back to the poll because I actually want to like kind of go back to you, Kate, um, because you 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 gave us some really interesting sort of like ideas there on what people are using the basket for. They're almost using them for sort of other functionality, um, you know, for sort of wish lists or for you know for for identifying sort of like the price of maybe sort of um, a, a selection of items and then thinking about how do they refine. So that kind of really brings us into sort of like good UX. Is it that, you know, those other functions should be there? We should have wish lists. We should have sort of like, you know, an ability to be able to pull up a, a pair of jeans and a, a, a T-shirt sort of next to each other so that we can sort of see whether they would match or a couple of, you know, tops with that pair of jeans or something. So so, so is that where sort of somebody, some, some of these companies have gone wrong, do you think, with their sort of their, their, their cart process? Um, so my favorite answer to absolutely every question that any client, anyone can ask me is it depends. Because it does, yeah. right? Precisely what Hillary said. For her, it wouldn't make any sense. That wasn't the reason because of the uniqueness of their product, right? No one buys free evening dresses in one go. We usually just buy one. 
But if it's, I don't know, t-shirts or, um, you know, sweatpants and whatever else, yes, we want them to kind of still look good together. Don't get me wrong. We might be working from home or I actually work from office, but still, um, you know, we still kind of want to look good, right? So we're going to kind of combine those things. Um, now, if you have thing, you know, if your imagery is naturally already outfit based, and you have all the complementary sort of products from that outfit um, uh, pointed out just below the, you know, the product descriptions and everything else, uh, then it's going to obviously be easier for customers. If you have a lot of content that allows, you know, customers to imagine. Yes, if you also have some really cool, you know, wish lists and augmented reality tools and other bits and pieces where you can play around with those things. Um, especially if we go to, you know, it's even more difficult if we go to like homeware section, like we have a lot of homeware clients for whatever odd reason recently. Uh, and it's, um, you know, and that's even more difficult, obviously, to imagine. So the idea of imagination, um, you know, and really kind of, you know, mentally manipulating the product in our head against our wardrobe, against lots of different things and really playing with it, pretty much gamification aspect of it is something that is also going to get us to be much more likely to buy, even when we are just shopping for the entertainment value of the actual process of scrolling through and, you know, and adding things yeah. to basket, not really actually thinking and not having an intention to purchase. But when yeah. we sort of engage a customer so much in that really, you know, it's like dressing a Barbie doll type of thing, you know, almost, <laughs> you know, don't get me wrong, we're still all children, right? So uh, we can still have a little bit of fun. Why do you think that, what is this platform, Hilary, do you remember, what is, what is this platform? Um, dressed, there we go, that one, right? I'm like, that's how it works. You're still on mute, Hillary, by the way. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that was such, such, and, and do you know, for a while, and this is, it's bonkers that I even remember this, but I am pretty old. Um, Bowden, for a while, used to have a tool on their website whereby you could drag, you could literally create a virtual avatar of yourself. You could drag a top on, trousers on. Now, I'm not a Bowden, I'm not a huge Bowden fan. I quite like some of their products. I buy a lot of their product for my kids. Um, uh, not that they're grateful, uh, but... Um, I, I used to love that drag and drop facility just to play with it, just because I'm a, you know, I'm a, I'm, I'm a girl at heart who loves playing around with clothes and fashion. And so it was great. And I love that. Now that functionality doesn't exist on the website anymore. My guess is that it was, and it was clunky, um, but it was such a great piece of, um, such a great piece of tech. Brilliant. And it, it made me buy things I never would have bought. <laughs> so, so I'm going to bring you you in at this point um in terms of kind of UX or, or or maybe even some of these kind of sort of you know quite sort of fun gamification technologies you know is there anything there that you sort of recommend or, or you think that people should be sort of you know considering implementing sure uh well I, I, I can speak from from the experience because I've never uh tried what <laughs> tried the platform before but uh you know in terms of the in terms of uh, the user experience so uh, not so much on the gamification piece that we've seen just yet mm -hmm. but you know just making sure uh this is like probably repeating all, like the same thing over and over but really just making sure that your entire store is responsive from 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 start till finish you know and depending on the kind of uh you know the kind of uh plugins and, and tools that you've implemented on your site see how that experience is actually working on mobile because people might tend to forget and you know for example a simple example is like you have your chat bubble covering your uh you know your purchase button for example you know something it, it happened no trust me it's happened and i have seen that with certain uh, you know with, with certain accounts but people tend to forget and they're wondering like okay ever since they launched live chat for example why is why are they getting like you know um such lower rates on like on, on like sales for mobile and that's actually one of the reasons, right? And on top of that, it's also it also depends on you know not just the chat bubble, but like any other, for example, um, you know, like you, you might be featuring like for example the social proof types of bubbles that are popping up. You know, your Facebook Messenger. You want to be sure that uh, that is properly optimized. And this also kind of answers, I guess, Natalie's question, like you know, what's the biggest frustrations at checkout? So that is a super huge one. Like, question in, so thank you, Jakey. Yeah, <laughs> no worries. Yeah, because like we 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 get the customer feedback, right? You know, because we're helping them with customer service and we're like hey you know we can't buy because the chat bulb was in place i'm like oh wow <laughs> you know like why was that integrated this way and so you know it's, it's also good feedback yeah yeah and like, actually notice that um like the but the color of the button for example it's like it's such a simple thing but so many businesses just get it wrong 
they put just the wrong colors or they put a color that kind of looks like the, you know, like the product is out of stock. So gray, for example, uh, avoid gray as much as you can. It's not really a good color for anything, to be honest, in terms of any human behavior, uh, not to mention emotions. I'm like, nope, we have way too much gray already. Uh, Wait, what color should we be using? Sorry? What color should we be using on our buy buttons? Uh, to be honest, again, it depends what are your primary and secondary colors. But generally, I would rather focus on a secondary color uh, from your color palettes rather than a primary ones for the buy buttons or for to add to basket buttons. Also differentiate some of them or go to basket button. Uh, you need to kind of make them differentiated, add to wish list as well. Um, so I don't know if you guys know, but general trend right now is brands tend to kind of develop color palettes that have between 20 to 60 colors uh, in them to really kind of play with those all across e-commerce, social media, product, packaging, design, everything. Uh, it is really such a powerful tool, just the color. I'm not to even mention shape or placement of it or basic functionality, like I'm actually able to put my name and it, you know, and it doesn't kind of do weird things. Or like if I'm putting my card details, I actually have just a numerical, um, you know, keyboard as opposed to mm, the little tiny one that I can barely see on my phone, you know, and try to put an exact, um, you know, card numbers. And like, you know, some of the basic things or like security as well. There isn't mm -hmm. kind of enough of the, you know, um, of the sort of trust element built around security a lot of the times. So, um, you know, so your payment providers that are much more sort of trustworthy also important. The choice between uh, type of payment providers, the choice between delivery, um, you know, uh, providers as well, because you might, for example, use two or three couriers, but I really hate one because I had a really bad experience with them recently. Uh, and I don't want them to deliver my thing because I'm just going to scream at them when they enter my, you know, building, you know, because that's how bad an experience was, for example, right? Uh, and that obviously is going to be detrimental to my relationship with your business. And choice is also one of the best ways of actually increasing sense of control for us as human beings, which let's face it, we all know how little of it we have right now, um, mm -hmm. right? So, and how strongly we crave that. So any kind of level of, you know, of choice of being able to impact on things and being able to personalize an interaction uh, whether I choose to be, you know, do it for a video chat or whether I choose to do it for a normal chat. Can I email you? Can I pick up a phone? Can I do this? Can I do something else? Can I leave the basket right now and it's going to be there in two days because I have to cook a dinner and I don't know, take care of my sick child or whatever else, right? Um, mm. All those kind of basic stuff, but like the design element is so crucial. Uh, and it's so important. Ooh, yeah. so important. So important. And it's not just about just to, I also find, so not just about having choice, customers definitely want choice, but they also want control, you know, particularly in this pandemic time. And yes, we're coming out of it and, and, and that's great. But during the past year, consumers have felt totally and utterly out of control. They haven't been able to control so much in their lives. So the more that you can give consumers the information they need to allow them to take control of the process. You know, I want to pick it up at the parcel shop. I don't want it sent to home. I'm a big one for that because I don't want my husband to see how many things I get delivered. Um, <laughs> so I can go to the parcel shop whilst I pick up the shop, the grocery shopping, and he'll never know how many parcels got delivered, um, which is absolute genius. But I want to control that. I want to know that that's what I've chosen. I want to control which, as you say, which courier I use. I want to control the way I finance it. So Klarna is great. Um, you know, on Forever Unique, we saw a huge change in abandonment rates just by offering PayPal and Klarna. So giving the customer some ways to take control over her finances and her shopping sort of methodology. That was such a huge thing. And I think I think that will continue post pandemic. I think the customer feels, look, you know, yes, it's great. I'm out shopping again, but I still want all those controls that, that, I, that I put in place during uh, during COVID. I still want to be able to really control how this all works. Yeah, yeah, I think that's the payment options I wanted to come over to you and GQ on as well, because it, I think you're right, actually, Hillary. I think offering sort of like those other options. 
there's a couple of things I was thinking about there. There's obviously sort of, um, you know, there's being able to spread the cost. There's, you know, needing to provide sort of a range of methods for people to be able to pay. Um, the impact that maybe adding PayPal can can actually um, have. And then when you're at thinking about adding things like PayPal or Apple Pay, you know, often that's also about people being able to instantly populate the information with their, you know, address details, um, their sort of, you know, their full name details, their sort of card details, they don't have to type all of that stuff in. So I'm just wondering, GQ, do you think there's like, can, can you, should you offer everything? Or are there, should you offer sort of one choice of each type of payment option? Do you have any kind of thoughts on sort of what payment options should be offered? Mm, let me think about it. Well, I guess it, it really depends on like the markets that you're serving, right? So, you know, I guess a variety would be great because like you don't want that to be a friction point for people. You like, like and I guess like kind of like, um, uh, really like pop, like common thing that we think about in the company is, you know, we want to meet or rather talk to our customers where they want to be uh, engaged with customers where they want to be engaged on. And so I think this also applies to kind of like, you know, what payment methods are available in their country or where they are. That's something that you want to offer. So that way it reduces the friction. Cause the point is the less friction that you create for the overall shopping experience, the better, right? You know, who, like if I, if I can just like, you know, do like, like uh, Google pay right now. No. Okay. So okay. Kate has something else. So I'll turn to the expert here. Is that Kate is the expert in this. So. Okay. So, okay. so what's, what's your view, Kate? <laughs> um, I absolutely hate a principle of something called frictionless shopping. Um, <laughs> Nothing that's actually frictionless or almost frictionless in life is meaningful. Nothing. And it's valuable. I like to divide it into meaningful and meaningless friction. So my meaningless friction, yes, I can't choose my own payment. Eh. I can't choose how I'm delivering it. Eh. You know, I can't see how much it's going to cost me. No. But I want to have a little bit of a meaningful friction, such as would you like to personalize your product? Have you forgot about this? Or how about this kind of pair of shoes with that outfit? Why wouldn't you, you know, da, da, da. Or would you like to vote for which charity we actually going to give, you know, X percentage of your, um, you know, uh, of your order? Uh, those are some of the meaningful things. Or would you like to speak to Susan from our, you know, from our customer service team to answer some of your questions? You know, those are things that are actually meaningful in some form or another. Now, we also need to bear in mind that in certain cases, having things too easy means that, that they are not safe, not just not valuable, they are not safe and secure. So we need to be also very careful of giving enough steps so it feels safe and secure, but not too many, so it feels annoying. And it's that kind of, you know, balance between mm -hmm a meaningless friction for me that's always really important and you know the meaningful predominantly invests in the symbolic you know meaning and value building of the products and of the brand but also into the relationship that we have with the brand whereas the meaningless friction is all those things that are just pissing us off and we all know which ones are those right it's not a rocket science we don't have to do research on this just think about which one annoys you. Uh, that That's the one you need to get rid of, right? Well, well maybe this is the title of our next we webinar then, sort of like, you know, meaningful versus meaningless. <laughs> This is, this is really good. Yeah, Kate just said everything I wanted to say. No, I'm just kidding. But like, yeah, but this is this is really cool. I really like how she seg segregated like meaningful and meaningless friction. That's that's something, something really interesting. Thank you. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah, perfect. I mean, I, I mean, thinking of, I mean, obviously, we've talked about sort of a number of things that can can, you know, distract people from completing their purchase. Um, and Mark actually sort of put out a good question as well um, on the sort of chat box. Um, and he was saying it's like, you know, what should you prioritize? You know, is there sort of, you know, something that you should be thinking, I've got to get this absolutely right, first and foremost. Um, so if, if, if you've got to sort of look at, you know, bringing down your rates, what, what would you prior, prioritize? I'll come to you, GQ, because you're on sort of um, on at the moment, but um, then we go to, to, to Hillary and Kate. Sure, sure. Um, so well, I, I wouldn't necessarily say this is the, the first place that you could start, but one thing that people might tend to forget is aggregating the customer feedback that you're getting, assuming that you already have your help desk and your live chat available or whichever channel that people can talk to you on. 
because there's so much information that you can get from your customers. And I think understanding how they're actually checking out your website, that's the number one thing you could do. Of course, this, you know, and I'll defer to Kate and Hillary to share in terms of, you know, like when you're talking about analytics, where could you start looking? But I think as a first step, look through your tickets, you know, get your team members or someone on, on the team, if you're not already doing this, to aggregate what are the common concerns and, you know, kind of identify what are some of the UX issues that people are facing, you know, or what are some of the you know, common concerns, like, for example, um, you know, uh, maybe this product is not available in this color. And you'd be surprised that this can be actually a reason that, that, that comes up quite often as well. So yeah, I would say defer, uh, like turn to your uh, customer service tickets. That's a really good place to, to learn uh, more information. Okay, lovely. Hilary, how do, how do you prioritize? So for me, the top one, and, and I've done this a few times now in different in different businesses, the top one has to be speed. And again, it's back to this whole control thing. Um, I've seen so many clunky checkouts that have stage one, stage two, stage three, stage four, and you're not telling me where I am in those stages. So I don't know whether or not having entered my address, that's the end of it, or I don't know whether there's going to be three more boxes to sort out after that. Make it quick, make it seem, we know nothing is seamless, but make it quick, make it, you know, ask for the less, the least amount of information at that point possible to get the customer through the checkout. Yes, there are opportunities further down the line to request the things that may make that relationship more meaningful. Absolutely, there's a ton of stuff you can do on that later on that is retention and is really sticky and great, I love it. And that's all about getting that second purchase. But for the first time, you've got these customers in the mode of buying, she's got it in her checkout, right? Make it easy, make it fast, make your checkout quick. And, and I would also say, having seen it work really well, offer a couple of ways to pay. So offer your PayPal, offer your Google Pay, offer your Klarna. So again, I have control. It's going to be quick and I've got control. Yeah, I agree. I think that that's well, well said. Kate, have you got something that you think is is sort of top priority when it comes to, to streamlining your cart abandonment process or your cart process? Um, so both Hilary and GQ said really the very important things. Um, but for me, in terms of the overall kind of UX as well, uh, is things that customers won't be able to tell you because it's their subconsciousness that's picking those stuff up. It's those little things that just make you, mm, I'm not sure, but something is off over here. That's where you need experts, you know, like us to really kind of know, okay, it's the wrong color butter. It's the wrong placement of this. Uh, there is one step too much, you know, where, where else kind of can we put that? Uh, yeah. The size of the font is too little for me to actually be able to see it. Uh, you know, uh, I don't want to read the whole, you know, whatever process of something. Uh, but also one thing that really annoys me is the delivery and returns information is barely able to be found anywhere. It's like you have to go through the whole website and scroll down to the bottom and sometimes it's not even there. And mm. it's like, you know, or it's like three sentences that don't tell you anything. I'm like, those are the things that are making people feel more secure. I love, Hilary, that you mentioned, where am I at this process? That predictability, oh my goodness, it's so important. So I know whether this process is going to finish in 20 seconds or it's going to finish in five minutes and I need to go and feed my child right now. You know, as I like, uh, so thank you very much, but I'm going to drop the basket right now and go do that because that's more important, you know, and it's. Uh, okay, sorry, to, I, I'm going to put up the next poll, actually, because I think this is a good part to point to put it in. Um, so, Dale, if you can sort of pop that up for us, um, because I want to kind of tie this now into sort of follow up customer service. Um, so we wanted to ask everyone, is calling abandoned carts too invasive? Um, so what do you think to the idea of having your customer services team follow up on abandoned carts? Um, so definitely uh, it's good strategy or never heard of doing this before. Oh, and actually we can vote too, panelists. So please put your votes in as well. No, it says host and panelists can vote. No. Oh, can I, want my, I want my answer to be none of those. I want to say it's category specific. So for me, oh. if, it's a, if it's a car, yes, definitely. You know, that is yeah. a high ticket purchase, high consideration, really yeah. thought through. A customer is not going to try and buy a car if she is not committed. That is not a frivolous purpose lacking in uh, purchase, lacking in intention. So if it's a car, 
Yes, definitely. If it's a 15 pound t-shirt, no, absolutely not. I would, there are other ways of, in, in a more subtle fashion of going back to that consumer that are much better than, I, I would feel highly um, invaded if someone rang me to say, by the way, uh, Hill, we see you've left that top in your basket, you know, that would, but if it was a car <laughs> or a holiday, definitely. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. I think it's got to depend on the item, hasn't it? Um, so, yeah, I mean, it seems pretty even there, actually. I mean, there's a, a percentage of people that sort of, you know, 18% had never heard of this before. Um, but, um, but you know, 40% have said it's a good strategy. 43% have said definitely. Um, I wonder what you think, Jiku. Do, do, do you think it's too invasive to, to be calling people up? Uh, so yeah, uh, what Hillary said is so true. I, I can reference this with one of our clients that uh, deals with hearing aids. And funny enough, hearing aids, but we call people. I, I don't know how that works, but it's it's interesting. Like it, it's 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 well, I mean, not, not like 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 uh, junk sign or whatever. Um, because I think like it depends on the demographics that you work with as well. They prefer to engage with you over the phone or chat, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So uh, we found that uh, you know previously when they were abandoning carts and their devices are worth a few hundred dollars at least, almost like you can maybe almost close to a thousand, right? And so uh, what happens here then is that they're able to uh, call them up and also obviously go through any doubts that people might have. And they actually get a lot more sales calling up abandoned carts as a result. So that's, that's that is an example, like Hillary said, of course, a car is way more expensive than that, but a higher value item or like, you know, if your average order value is super high, that makes a lot of sense. But if you're doing, you know, fast goods, then it's, it's, it's not only probably invasive, but it's also a waste of your time of your customer service team because you can't hit everyone, right? So yeah, that's just speaking from one of our experiences. Yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> okay, so I mean, so what would you say are the best ways for sort of customer services to help support the the you know car abandonment? Sure. Uh, so yeah, I think like if you want to do it like non-invasive, one of the most popular platforms right now. So we have email, but there's a lot of noise going on uh, there, right? You know, you're sending out newsletters, you're sending out follow-up uh, drip campaigns. A really good one is text. Uh, so if you're able to do SMS texting, if people have you know opted in uh, with GDPR, uh, you know that's a really good way because uh, you know SMS has like a what uh, a open rate of like ninety plus percent, and that's what we've seen. And so that's a really good way to kind of jump in and, and kind of follow up. Um, you know, in this case, like for example, if we're talking about uh, goods that are sold, like you know, in more of like quantity in this case, and you could you know send out things, for example, like oh hey, I noticed that you have you know like your top or whichever stuff in your checkout, and if this is like a first time visitor, for example, you know. Uh, you know, you could offer a certain special one-time offer kind of thing so people would purchase. But then that kind of leads us, as Kate has mentioned, a bit, a bit more of like an impulsive purchase, right? So, you know, just just, just kind of around that. But um, yeah, you know, like I think texting is, is really quite good. And the uh, to add on top of that is that when people do actually reply to the SMS, don't just leave it there. Get back to get your CST members to also engage with them because then you'll find out what do they really want to order. Because like maybe they didn't engage with you on your site, they didn't drop you an email. Now they can do it over SMS. There's no time pressure, right? If I send you an SMS now, I could check my phone eight hours later because I'm busy, right? And so there is that there there isn't that time pressure, and you can actually figure out like does the person actually want to purchase this product or could I? possibly uh, include an upsell uh, opportunity, depending on what they want. So the goal, of course, is that you want to propose products that people actually want so that they, you know, they stay longer with the brand and become ideally become evangelists, not just like making that quick sale, so to speak. Cool. So you're saying sort of, you know, text and email, you would say are probably the best ways to sort of follow up afterwards. Text, text, like if you're not doing texting right now, yeah, because but I think email should be pretty much standard for most brands. If, yeah. if you're not doing email, then you, you should probably already get started a long time ago. But text is definitely the one thing to consider. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. I think Hillary. text is amazing. Text can be amazing. And I've seen certain brands use it really, really well. But again, I put a bit of a caveat on the text because I think there are certain brands that shouldn't do that. And again, they are probably brands in the very, very high-end premium fashion space um so higher end than forever unique but i'm talking about the sort of really high priced here i think those guys need to be really really careful about cart abandonment strategies in general so i'll give it a good example um obviously many of the big houses have been really late coming to the e-commerce party and so they now finally took them a long time to wake up have e-commerce websites you can buy gucci from gucci um, Whereas before you couldn't um, and you had to go into store. But I think you have to be really careful not to be. And somebody once said this to me and I thought it was so powerful. 
you have to be careful that you don't become the salesman running down the street after the customer, shaking the shirt at him and going, buy, buy, buy. Because if you're a premium brand whose cues are all about luxury and not about impulse, doing that can feel really wrong and can really damage your brand so I think you have to again you have to think about what emotion set the customer is in and I think you know it might be very attractive and very you know seductive to Gucci to think well if somebody's put a three thousand pound handbag in her basket and she hasn't transacted it through I'll you know I will digitally chase her down the high street showing it to her again and again and again if that were me and I wanted the luxurious experience of a Gucci, I, I would find that very, very off-putting. So I think they have to find other ways to bring those customers back, be it via, via Instagram, be it via bloggers, be it via all different ways to really re-entice that customer. But I don't think, you know, text would be the appropriate medium there. Yeah, no, I agree, agree. So um, we've only got five minutes left. So I'm going to come to like a kind of sort of summation now. Um, you've been great, by the way, everyone. It's been really entertaining. I hope everyone's been enjoying listening in. And I think we could go on for ages. But um, I want you to kind of, if there's like a kind of sort of top tip or top takeaway from the discussion today, um, then, you know, let's leave everyone with like a kind of tip bit as to sort of think about, you know, this is a thing I think is most important for you to be um going back to the office with so Kate I'm going to come to you first on this um so what would be your kind of sort of your your top takeaway so for me it's always about redefining uh what you want people to feel think and do um and we do that for all of our clients at every tiny minuscule step of anything doesn't matter whether it's online or offline experience because if you don't actually know how you want them, for example, to feel or, you know, what kind of information they need to actually fill in, so the basic do, but especially that feel element, you don't really kind of know how to then design it because your colors will differ, your shape will differ, the movement that you're asking people to do with their cursor will also differ because even that movement can affect the perception of value and price for things like that. So all of those things need to be kind of considered. So really setting those clear objectives, of, you know, that experience that you want people to have, all of those emotions and how that moment also supports your overall relationship building, because this is not a final moment of their journey. Excellent. Thank you. So Hilary, you've got a minute to give your sort of top takeaway and then we'll come to GQ. So for me, um, it less about less about the psychology, although I think that's extraordinarily important. This is just about transactional stuff for me. This is make it slick, make it quick, show people where they are in the process, tell them it's two steps of five or three steps of four um, and allow and, and make it clear on mobile. And, you know, so that what they can get through it quickly. This is all about taking hurdles out of the customer's way that get them through checkout. And it's so important. Yeah, absolutely. Well said. Thanks, Hilary. GQ? Uh, takeaway would be to, you know, um, offer a personalized experience and also be able, be contactable, be reachable. Because like, you know, sometimes just like email alone may not be enough, but you want to allow customers to reach out to you so that that way, if they, have, if they have any doubts or anything along the way, you can learn from them and improve your mm -hmm. overall uh, customer experience as a result. And of course, give you the opportunity to, you know, um, ideally recover the cards that, uh, that, that you're losing. So focus yeah. on customer service. Don't forget about it. <laughs> customer service. Excellent. So um, I'm going to sort of like bring Dal back in from the background in this sort of like final couple of minutes as well. Um, so I wanted to kind of say thank you very much to, to all of our panelists for um, taking part. So thank you, Kate. Um, thank you, Hilary. Um, and obviously, thank you, GQ and to, to LTV Plus. Um, but also we want to sort of we want to do a sort of networking thing after this, Dal, don't we? So I thought it'd be good to bring you back in and then we can kind of explain to everyone we want to do <laughs> so i'm saying yeah it's uh we're just going to have a 20 minute uh speed networking session so if you want to get a chance to speak to the panelists or davina and myself uh i'll share the link again in the chat box and it's just going to be a speed networking format so you'll just get paired off with uh either a one of your fellow delegates or one of us basically so yeah i'll share the link for you now and hopefully see you all there in the bar.
for the virtual I saw you shared it a few minutes ago, so I'm just grabbing it myself. But yeah, I thought it was worth kind of sort of flagging to everyone. Um, so um, so uh, Kate and, and GQ and, and Hillary, I hope we can all kind of sort of hop into this. Um, but um, but yeah, it's a, I think it will be an interesting experiment to see um, how sort of like we can network online um, over a virtual glass of wine. Although it might be a little bit early in the day for that. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> so thank you very much, everyone. Really appreciate it. And, um, and I'll be on the other link shortly. See you soon. Bye. Okay.